The following program is designed to inform and entertain, not provide medical advice. You should always consult with your physician before starting any treatment. We will be discussing an article on why American teens have become so sad and answering a listener question on when to listen to your anxiety. Today on Drinks and Shrinks. Welcome to Drinks and Shrinks, where we invite you to lay back, relax, and join us for an informal discussion on mental health with practicing therapists. My name is Ingo Weigold. I'm John Deku. And today, uh, we're going to be talking about this article that um, gives us some insight into why American teens are so sad these days, as well as answering a listener question about anxiety. But before we get into all that... John, how are you doing, sir? How's the new year treating you so far? So far, pretty good. You know, I'm. Uh, we were talking before we started recording about the weather, and uh, we have a nice sunny day today. And last time I talked to you, I saw. I said I was going to see a Bulls game. I saw two Bulls games. Whoa! So I'm happy. As a, I was happy as a clam that week. Okay. Did and they win? They won one of them. Okay. Against the worst team in the league. So nice. you know, I'm just. Uh, Things are, I really don't like this time of year, but it's so far feeling pretty good. Taking it day by day, you know, yeah. soaking in the sunlight as much as I can, mm-hmm. trying to appreciate this weather. We're also talking about how Chicago is, um, it's it sucks that we're not in a warmer area or on a coast, but it's also one of the more affordable cities to live in mm-hmm. in the United States. So it's a pretty cool city. I was just downtown over the weekend to hang out, and I love going in the city. Um, there's always something to do. It doesn't matter the, the time of year, you know, whether it's, you know, su- summer type activities or indoor activities, you know, going to see bands or, you know, bar hopping, whatever. There's <laughs> What were you doing in the city? Just, um, uh, I, I went to visit our colleague, Scott. So we just, oh. went, so just did a little bro night. So it's nice. Mm-hmm. Um, a little bromance. <laughs> yeah. A little bro date. <laughs> exactly. I paid the price for it on Saturday. Okay. <laughs> That's all right. I'm not as young as I used to be, um, you know. Kids these days. Kids. Why are these teens so sad? Yes. Well, <laughs> do you want to talk about that? Well, anything else that's been going on with you? Um, no, I mean, I, I just, I'm waiting for winter to kick in here in the Midwest, and it seems like it really hasn't decided. Maybe we'll just skip winter this year, which is fine, because it's been sunny the last week or so, and I got to say my mood has been much improved versus a couple weeks ago from when it was just gloomy and overcast for you know weeks on end mm-hmm. all through i know we had some bad weather through christmas but even then it was sunny for a minute and it didn't seem so bad it's like when the sun is out i just think it's 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 more appealing and i tend to feel better you know i don't know about you but i'm absolutely the same way yeah i got a lot to say about that mm-hmm. but we've also talked about seasonal depression and how the we have sunlight can affect people maybe one day we'll come back to that mm-hmm. so let's talk about this article in the atlantic um titled why american teens are so sad. Four forces are propelling the rising rates of depression among young people. And I'll take I'll get your take on it in a second. I just want to bring one quick stat that at the top of this article, um, they uh, say that from 2009 to 2020-2021, the share of American high school students who say they feel persistent feelings of sadness or hopelessness rose 
from 26% to 44%. That's almost double, according to the CDC study. It's the highest ever reported. Ever in the history yeah. of, of, and, you know, people will say, oh, you know, it's, it's um, they haven't been keeping track of it that long or whatever, but I think, I think this says something. And it's not just COVID that caused this, you know? So what are your thoughts on this article? There's a lot of data in here. Um, and there were, there were four major points I think we should definitely cover. But what, what, yeah, um, I do have thoughts because I, I, what the article was, they kind of made a few different points. One of the first points is that teenagers are sad. And mm-hmm. what they were first saying is they're not just being teenagers. And I actually, this is like a big bone I have with society is that over time, the new generation just always kind of shakes their fist and goes kids these days. Yes. And they say like, gosh, they're. They're so darn sad. They need to pull themselves up by the bootstrap kind of thing. But we've been saying that for hundreds of years. Like the the younger generation is bad. You know, look at rock and roll. Like mm-hmm. that was a devil music, right? Elvis Presley, what he did was awful. Yeah. And I just, we just continue to say that things were, the kids are bad. And so I think this article did a good job at saying, no, 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 things are actually looking worse. I think they said that objective measures like um, suicide attempts and completion have gone up over the last uh, 15 or so years. Um, eating disorders, self-harm are all on the way up. So it's quite concerning that it's not just uh, that teenagers tend to be sad, which I think is we all know to be true, that they tend to be kind of moodier. Yeah. Um, but it seems like objectively things are getting worse for them. What, is, what do you think about that? Well, I mean, the article talks about the two fallacies that people chalk up to when this kind of in- information comes out. Um, uh, you know, like one of them is that the teens behave badly, and the other one, like you were talking about, is is this fallacy that teens have always been moody, moody and sad. I think I agree with some of what you're saying that they have, but you know, in in general, I th- from what they've measured, the anxiety and depression um, behaviors such as eating disorder, self harming, suicides, etc., are all sharply up. Mm-hmm. You know, and that's stuff that's been tracked, and they can go back and look at that. It's so it's it's somewhat interesting because um, even though they are more emotional and moody because it's a time in your life where you're going through a lot of changes, I think there's more going on than just that. So mm-hmm. definitely. And they also were suggesting that um, teen behaviors are on the improvement, too, with saying that there's less fighting, yep. less drunk driving. I want to say somewhere else I even heard that there's less teen pregnancy overall. Well, they're not really having sex. So it, the, the the teens having sex, it's decreased, which is wild to me because, you know, society is so hypersexualized now, but the, it's not leading to more sexual behavior. It's mm-hmm. actually leading to less beha- sexual behavior. And then also bullying is way down. I know we hear about bullying all the time, but like, you know, if you even just look at like pop culture and the movies that came out 20, 30 years ago, the high schoolers, the bullying was prevalent in these movies and now you kind of it's it's like shifted it's not the schools are doing a better job of like preventing it and things so it's a legit insult now to call someone a a bully yes as far as i hear but back in the day you just kind of laugh at them like you're being a bully one thing shut up punk you know Uh, give me your lunch money or whatever it might be um so yeah i agree i think it i think a lot of things obviously to like the rate in which we accept lgbtq plus people or people who have a mental health issue you know 15 years ago, that was just neither of those things were a thing. Um, so the rate, things seem to be overall improving, which we talk about mental health um, 
or other sub or similar subjects, but it seems like rates are worse. The overall wellness of teenagers is worsening, at least when it comes to what they said is feeling sad mm -hmm. or hopeless. Um, so what were some of the things that the article was suggesting? Okay, so the four major forces, the first one of being social media use. And um, I've said this for years, and I never had like data to back this up, but I think the iPhone's invention um, back in like, what was it, 2008 or 9 or something, yeah. is, a, is, a, is a major turning point in society that we're going to be measuring for, for decades, if not centuries, and seeing how it systematically changed how we behave with each other. And part of what's happening here is that like social media use is so addictive that this article was saying that um, it's not that they're replacing it doing that instead of like watching TV, they're doing that instead of doing everything. Like they're online constantly with social media and they're not sleeping well. They're not engaging with other people in person as much because they don't have to because they can just go on Snapchat or Instagram and be like, what's everybody up to? Like, cool, look at my cool picture. You know, instead of going to someone's house like I did when I was a kid and sitting on the couch and playing video games or, you know, playing baseball. You look outside, there's no kids playing outdoors anymore. I don't know, you're a little younger than I am, but when I was a kid, you, you could walk through any neighborhood and find a pickup game of something. I challenge, you to, I challenge you to do that anywhere, even in like this area where people are outdoorsy because we have a lot of outdoor stuff to do. You can't find kids playing basketball or whatever. You just don't really see it. So, Yeah, something that would happen when I was a kid is like you go learn how to go play with other kids. Yeah. Like go find some kids to play with. You know, that's mm -hmm. not really a thing anymore. It's not. Yeah. And I think, well... What I think what you're what you're saying is one that they mentioned in the article too, which but it's an interesting point of like social media has gotten bigger and it it's a way of explaining possibly why kids aren't out as much, but it's 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 um it's not a causal relationship, it's mm -hmm. a correlation at this point, right? We don't know yeah. for sure if it's that way. And one of the things the article referenced too was that there's apparently lots of studies that show uh, very small, if no, effects on mental health when using social media. However, the question that I think the author was bringing up are what are the long-term effects of this kind of mm -hmm. thing? Um, I could foresee, this is just me completely going off the cuff, I have no idea if this is true, I could foresee that um, we could see social media as kind of like being outside for too long and you have to like put on sunscreen. <laughs> Oh, right? nice. You know, where it's yeah. like, yeah, you can go do that thing. It's probably not that great for you in large doses. So you want to be sh aware not to get a lot of it, mm -hmm. you know, like you would with UV light. Um, and I have clients, too, who are just like really struggling with motivation. All like, like all throughout my career, I've had plenty of people say, I really struggle with getting myself off the couch and getting myself to do things. And typically it's because they're looking at their phone or doing some kind of social media thing. Mm -hmm. And I got no beef with it, but if it's getting in the way of you doing what you want to do, then it's probably a problem. Yes. And there's probably, I can imagine people in the future are going to say, whoa, 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 you're watching a lot of social media there. Are you like, you know, that's not good for you, right? Mm -hmm. I don't think we're there yet. I think it's going to be quite a bit, but I could see that being a conversation. Yeah, the article, I agree with what you're saying as far as like protecting yourself. They make a correlation to like alcohol, saying that social media is not poison. It's more like alcohol in that it's, it's a substance that people widely use that some people and a small percentage of people really struggle with having moderation and control over. 
and social i think social media i mean i don't know about the teens you work with but some of them seem like they're cool they're fine and others are hyper fixated and spending hours and hours a day on instagram or whatever and it's i see like a correlation to like their anxiety level and all that and i just feel like i don't know it's both good and bad because i've also heard like um i'm thinking of graduation season last year um i i had several teams come in and tell me how they used snapchat to mobilize like large groups of people to go to graduation parties like from one party to another it's like hey we're all at so-and-so's party you should come and they were like using it in a productive way to bring like 15 16 teenagers to someone's house like and then go to, they made a plan like on snapchat mm -hmm. on how in to in between like, the dick pics <laughs> probably <laughs> <How> to, <laughs> yeah right right but then uh, there's the, i mean that's probably one of the one of the creator's intentions is to get ideas shared and things like that and conversations going and meetups to happen but um i think to a point that you're saying is like people are using it to get together and to do things not as an alternative to doing things mm -hmm. and that's another thing that the article says that i've i mean anecdotally i've experienced too is like as time goes on it's gotten a lot easier to do everything we need to do from our home you know like 20 years ago mm -hmm. 30 years ago we had old time answering machines you had to go home and listen to it if you wanted to know if somebody was calling you and now yeah. it's it's like that seems so antiquated nowadays you had to go f you didn't know if someone had a phone so you had to call the restaurant they were at hoping to get a hold of them or whatever mm -hmm. it might be too so it, it has gotten very very easy for people to not socialize yes and i would wager that's part of why social media can be kind of painful another thing that the, the article said too is that uh, the social media might be affecting people's ability to sleep because sleep has gone down 30% from 2007 to 2019 for teenagers. Oh. Um, and it's probably just because they're spending more time laying in bed looking at their phones too. Mm -hmm. Which, by the way, that's not good for you. Don't lay in bed and look at your phone. It's not good for your sleep. They're also less likely to go out, get a license, to play sports. Um so all those things, I think, as a substitute for, uh, if you're using um, social media as a substitute for those things, it's probably not going to go very well for you. No, and I think um, part of the licensing, and <laughs> I mean, can we jump to number four, the modern parenting strategies? <laughs> I got a lot to say about that one, sure. Okay, because I think it's a good segue. We can come back to number three. Um, so I think modern parenting strategies, in some sense, ha have has assured that children won't understand how to deal with adversity because a lot of the lot of the parenting that's happening is there's too much involvement the kids are not allowed to fail they're not allowed to attempt things the parents are making sure that they're um doing a lot you know certain things and there's a lot of pressure because of college and all this stuff so they're like you know almost doing homework for them or there's if you screw something up, it's like, it's okay. Your mom and dad's going to take care of it for you. Like there's this little bit of that mindset. We just got to get you to the finish line of getting to a good college. Well, part of the process is, is struggling along the way helps build resilience. And I don't think um, that's happening with teens, which is why they don't get their licenses. I have teens I've worked with who now are young adults or 22 years old and still don't have a license, which to me is like, it's crazy thinking like I got my license the day I turned 16 yep, right it's freedom right mm -hmm. I get to but with that freedom comes scary stuff like mm -hmm. driving on the road by yourself as a 16 year old is kind of scary you know and I think this is part of this whole thing is the modern parenting it doesn't set them up for you know being okay with being afraid of driving but still doing it you know 
I think what the what they were talking about that I really connected to a lot personally is like you were saying this accommodating parenting style, and the what I uh, maybe you took away different things. What I got away from it is maybe we could talk about this more in an episode of just an accommodating parenting style as a whole. The main thing I took away is don't do scary things. Don't do things that are really really hard. Yeah, like don't you don't have to eat your vegetables. I think they were sharing that. <laughs> Um, veggies are good for you yeah kids are not um doing chores as much either in terms of or the parents are not requesting kids to do chores as much mm-hmm. like uh, they're not getting summer jobs as frequently uh, but for that being said homework time has also gone up so um they're probably spending more time doing homework but that doesn't account for things like over the summer but still there's the a lack of desire to do those things and one possible explanation is because parents have said have at least delivered the message that if it's really really difficult you don't have to do it right um and i think that we see this as well with teenagers who have what we call school refusal which is they feel too anxious to go to school yes and then the parents say i don't want to make my kid do it they're too uncomfortable and the school says we don't know how to do it they're too uncomfortable and then they come see you or i and it's like we'll say Yes, go face your fear. Get used to go to school. Let's make this easier for you over time. We'll yes. take steps. And they're just like, screw you, I don't want to do that. And it, then it's like, it's fine, but then you're not going to go to school. And because you, part of what I think what you were saying too, part of what it is is like you learn how to deal with adversity by doing it more. I'm not trying yes. to be like some like stiff guy who's like, you got to do what I say. But at the same time, like look back, listener and you, Ingo, look back on your life and say, or some of the harder things I've ever done, some of the things I've gained the most from as mm-hmm. well. For most people, it is. It is. Yeah, we learn through struggle. And I, I think, like, that's the hard part, too. Like, for me, I've, I think <laughs> I, there's some sense of guilt. And, and my kids have recently switched school districts, and the previous school districts they, they were in, my daughter had struggled with, like, anxiety at school. And she's she's 10 now, but... For a few years and the previous school would call and have someone come pick her up and i always oppose that and now that they're going to this other school district like we have a nurse who's more along the lines of how i think like yeah you can come to the nurse's office and you can sit there and we'll, we'll help you with how you're feeling and then you're going to go back to class so you're not going to call your parents and you're not going to go home because you're not actually like physically sick like you're you're you don't have a fever you're you're not dying it's just anxiety come here calm yourself down and go back and i think that i think that's healthy but a lot of parents would come pick their kids up oh my my son is, is he's he's having a bad day he needs a mental health day which i don't think is a bad thing but it's like at what point are you feet we had an episode about behavior change like a few episodes back like what are you teaching that kid if i go to the nurse's office my parents will come get me right mm-hmm. yeah so and, and going to maybe since maybe listeners haven't heard that episode, we can very quickly say that we need to be aware what things we do may be influencing our children's behaviors, whether we yes reinforce it or punish it. And if you reinforce it, you make the behavior increase more. If you punish it, mm-hmm. you happen less. Now, if a kid learns to call their parents from the nurse's office, and then the parent learns every single time that the kid does it that they're going to get to go home, yes. 
like, I don't know about you, but I wanted to go home all the time when I was <laughs> yeah. in school. Yeah. You play some Mario Kart. Yeah. Or whatever. <laughs> That'd Mario, be awesome. Whatever. Right. Eat some ice cream or something. Yeah. Right. I'm so sick. Then you feel better when you're at home. But then what happens is now you're conditioning the person to learn when I do that, I get this response. I think there's a challenge too there for parents because a lot of parents, you don't want your children to suffer. You want mm-hmm. them to have good lives, but you 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 have to allow them to suffer just enough so that they build resilience and a sense of accomplishment because mm-hmm. if you don't then they they don't you know like this article says they don't thrive as adults sometimes where that line is is unclear but yeah you know like um example is like my son will be 16 in a couple of years and he's going to need a car i could just buy him a car or i could he's going to get a summer job the next couple of years and save up some money for the car. So it's like, do I want him to suffer like that? Not necessarily because it's, you know, but long-term this is going to teach a lot of things. Like Mm -hmm. you work, you make money, you save the money. You don't just spend it. You sit on it for a long, two years, a long time. Mm -hmm. And then there's the payoff of, I can get the thing I want, you know? Mm -hmm. So I don't think a lot of parents do that anymore. And, you know, I don't know, what it was like for you growing up but it seems like nowadays that's not what parents do they'll just buy the kid the car and you know yeah it's hard to know in general you know without any kind of research on that i'm not aware maybe they've polled parents but i'm sure parents are probably not the most honest when they're asking that kind of <laughs> yeah. question like do you just get your kid whatever they want when they ask for it you no. know i would never do that you yeah know? but i think you're right like I, the way i like to think of it is like what would be a reasonable step of challenging your anxiety like, and if it's school refusal to be like, can you get yourself to go to school for half a day? Mm-hmm. Let's do that for like two weeks, right? Or maybe it's that you you go, but then you get these breaks or whatever it might be. Yeah. But then over time, like you condition yourself like a muscle and you get it stronger and stronger. And before you know it, you're able to be in school. Yeah. And you're lear- Instead of learning how to get away from the anxiety, you're learning how to do what you need to do and live with the anxiety. Yes. Which I think is ultimately... Uh, this is another thing, but like that's why I think a lot of pop culture is pretty unhealthy when it comes to anxiety because they're always teaching you how to get rid of it versus how to to live with it, mm-hmm. <laughs> you know. Um, like maybe a conversation for another day. <laughs> I know you love that subject. Um, yes. So the last one is uh, number three. Uh, this article proposes that the world is stressful, and there's more news that is available to everyone about. I think we kind of alluded to this in previous shows too, where like. There's a lot of news and they have so much news about gun violence and politics and COVID ended and then we had the war in the Ukraine. I mean, it was like it's never a never ending stream of negative stuff, mm-hmm. which is, seems to be affecting mm-hmm. the overall feelings that the teenagers have. Because there, there are a lot of times like the ones really plugged in teenagers, early 20s that they go to college. Like that's a time where social issues, I think, start to become really big for people, you mm-hmm. know, so and they're connected to all of it. Yeah, it's that's it's tricky to know. I, like I said, I'm not exactly sure like how much negative reporting in news has increased, um, and if that's like a good way to describe what's happening with teenagers. But I would imagine it would. Um, and what the one of the things that this article was saying too is that things are already in a negative direction, and COVID made it worse. And I think COVID can make it worse for multiple reasons. One is the obvious, like you're just not seeing your friends as much. But another mm-hmm. one is like. I don't know about you, but during the beginning of COVID, I was glued to the news because I was like, I'm witnessing something that's just horrible for humanity right mm-hmm. now. And I kept being so interested at in how bad it was going, too. 
Yeah. But then they probably put me in a bad mood. But at the same time, I don't necessarily regret it. I think it was good for me to learn what was going on. Yeah. But it probably has a toll on many people. It does. Yeah, I think, um, you know, one thing you can try, listeners, and this article talks about this too, is if you feel like social media in general or the news cycle is affecting you, why not take... Take a, you know, like they have dry January now from drinking. Do a dry February or no news February or something. Try it for a month and see how your, if your overall mood changes or not. Because some of these studies, um, there was an experiment this references from 2019 where they forced people to stop using Facebook for a month. Um, and they found that those who logged off spent more time hanging out with family and friends. Um, you know, and they just, seems like, that's replaced what we're doing right now, sitting in a room together, you know, and maybe if you can do more of that and less of the new stuff, you, you know, especially as teens. I need to find a way to do this in my bed, in my pajamas. What, this podcast? Yeah. Oh. Just me. <laughs> we can do it over the internet. <laughs> no, I'm kidding. I'm kidding. <laughs> right. Just, I, I never, I want to just synchronize everything to be accessible from my bed. So I never have to get with up. your pajamas. Yeah. And then I'll feel like crap okay. all the time. I'm yeah. kidding. I'm kidding. Never leave your house. What kinds of things do you think are leading to teenagers feeling more down over the years? Well, I think the biggest one is is kind of what we were talking about. Like they don't have a sense of ability to overcome adversity. A lot of them, mm-hmm. you know, and I think I think that the the attention span is an issue. The society's attention is very very limited based on like stuff people consume on TikTok or YouTube or whatever. It's like we're we're almost training ourselves to um, have less attention, and in doing that, I think it naturally creates more anxiety too, because we can't. Yeah. Like I always, I always find it funny if I'm like in line somewhere at a store, I have this urge all the time, like to pick up my phone and like look at it, because you're standing there and it's awkward, right? And you look around and you realize like everybody's doing that, because, but I don't know that that was the case twenty, thirty years ago. Definitely. I think people would talk to each other or look around or, you know, be more observant of their environment, right? Versus staring at a screen. So I I think we've all been conditioned to that. And I think none of that helps, you know, as far as, I mean, how many times have you sat sat there and had your phone in your hand? You're like, when did I pick up my phone? Has that happened to you before? Oh, yeah, yeah. Yeah, and I I think it used to happen to me more when I was in sales and was on it all the time versus now we meet with people one-on-one and my phone is usually, you know, in in a drawer for most of the day. Mm -hmm. So it's easier not to do that, but... I think there's an anxious loop there just keeps, you know, keeps happening. And I, I wonder, have you ever left the house without your cell phone? I don't forget those kinds of things often, no. You should try that sometime. Go to the grocery store in your car, but leave your phone at home and, and take note of how you feel. Because I did that by accident once and I felt pretty anxious about it, mm-hmm. which was really confusing. I'm like, why? And then I, I do it intentionally now sometimes, but... That's a weird thing to know that you have this device that we're attached to that if you don't have it with you, you feel nervous about it. I'd be most upset to not have mu- the music I want to hear in the car. Oh, yeah. But that's probably a good ex- exercise to just drive in silence, too. Be mindful. Yeah. So I'm th- well, I try to incorporate that into like when I, whenever I go outside to like walk my dog, I try to say, I'm not going to look at my phone while I'm outside. Yeah. Um, and it ends up being really useful. But. Uh, spilled water all over the floor. <laughs> It's all right. Um, ends up being really useful, but I think maybe I can also incorporate that into driving too. Being more mindful while you drive? Yeah. 
I've had clients who do that, and they say it's pretty useful for them. There's no reason not to incorporate more mindfulness. Yeah, I think the tendency to be mindful is uh, always helpful. I have some ideas. I, w- I was kind of thinking about this. I was like, so this article is giving their opinions as to why teenagers are feeling more sad and hopeless. And a couple I want to get your thoughts on. One is going back to parenting. And I, I think like in time, especially over the last 10 to 15 years, the acceptance of mental illness has gone up. Like um, when, I don't know about you, I'm sure, I guess it's the case for you. When I was a kid, if you were to show fear or anxiety or depression, it was definitely considered some kind of weakness. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. And now it's seen more as like an area of compassion for someone. Yes. And then I think when you're a parent and you are starting to change your perspective too, that if you see your child struggling then you may then accommodate but then the methods in which we accommodate may not be the most healthy for them like we said school refusal Mm -hmm. like i would say a wrong way personally and this is just my opinion a wrong way of handling somebody who's let's say depressed is to get mad at them for not snapping out of it yeah right because we're making them they already feel terrible we don't need to make them feel worse instead we can try to help them out and incentivize them, give them hope, give them rewards or whatever it might be, get them excited for things as much as we can, be understanding, be patient. But it doesn't mean yell at them. Mm-hmm. Or even with kids who are afraid to go to school, we could uh, the wrong answer, I would say, is to not have them go to school, right? Yes. It's you're trying. I think parents have the right intention of trying to be understanding of someone's mental health issues, but it ends up being that may not always be handling in the right way like overcompensating or going in the wrong direction with it yeah or overcompensating yeah i think it's uh i think it's a yes and or a yes but situation where yes i see that you're struggling but you will or yes i see it and you will still you know you have to you have to be be willing to take the next step of acknowledge you know validate but right you know and i think that's hard for parents sometimes because you don't want your kids to struggle i know and if you if listeners heard the last episode we talked about can't versus won't yes and i think the idea being like i've seen just so many younger people say that they can't do something versus that they just haven't figured out how or it'd be really hard for them to do it versus Mm -hmm. that they can't do it right i think sometimes we could uh, i think a, a good parent would learn the right ways of showing someone that they can do something Mm -hmm. it could just be really really hard especially when it comes to mental health issues. Yeah. Um, I think, as we talked about, another one is lack of socializing. Another one, I, I don't really know. I don't have any evidence based on this one, but I'm wondering if food changes over the course of the last 15 Maybe or so more years. processed foods. Yeah. I mean, more hormones go into meat and dairy. Kids are big. Like, I yeah. feel like everyone's taller and bigger, and it's, like, weird. Obesity rates... Just yeah, not even up. just obesity. I'm just talking to like teenagers are huge. Developed. Yeah, they're like tall and you know, the average teen I see is like over well over six feet a lot of times. So it's like that's crazy, like to think about just some giant humans, you know. There's research that shows that people um that increase dairy and poultry can lead to increased rates of estrogen in a person too. So what does that do? I don't know. Make us more emotional. Uh, that's <laughs> I'm so sad. I mean, that these are the I don't know, but these are questions, you know, yeah. as like as we become more modernized and factory farming becomes more and more of a thing, 
as if it already wasn't. We just wonder, like, what are people eating that's making, that's changing the way that they, they develop too. Maybe even the rates of cannabis as things become more legalized. It's very easy for kids to get their hands on like a, like a gummy yeah. and to be high throughout the entire school day. Right? And that has yeah. negative effects. Don't get me started. But kids have been getting high f- for many years. So. But it's been hard to get high, right? Like you got to find some dude who grows it or who buys it. And then you got to go to a lighter. You got to find somebody who knows how to roll it or smoke it. Right now you could just get some weird thing that has an electronic button and you can get high right there. There's no scent. There's no smoke. Yeah. Doesn't activate a smoke alarm. And they are doing that a lot. The vaping thing is a big deal. Mm-hmm. It's a, almost an epidemic in mm-hmm. schools at the moment. Or edibles, you know, for that yeah. matter. I don't know. What do you think? What are other thoughts you have about either what I said or other ideas as to why this No, I think happening? you make a lot of good points. I, I think I think, uh, I think this is an in-between generation. Like we're in between what's happening now, what's happened in the past, and what's going to happen in the future. Like there's this probably 15 to 20 year window where the social media thing and all this stuff hashes out the internet, like connectedness, you know, think about like all these devices that are connected everywhere now. And now we have like Facebook is trying to do the metaverse. And I think that's the front next frontier. But this generation, I think is one, I can't, I'm not super hip on like pop culture, but I think this has happened similarly in previous jumps of generations. You need to think about the boomers are all like a certain age now. So it, I think that's part of it too. It's like the next 10, 15 years, I think something will, will drastically shift again and then we'll sit there for a while. Where right now it's transitory because of this internet, media, like all the stuff that's happening. I don't even think cell phones will be a thing at some point. We'll just have this weird, maybe your glasses, or you'll just be able to like hit a button on your wrist and go, oh, I'm connected. That'd be sick. That'd be pretty cool. <laughs> yeah, as long as like we can get some distance to know what parts of it are healthy or unhealthy for us, too. What do you think that thing will be in like 10 or 15 years? Any idea? What the thing is? Yeah, you said there'd be like a shift. Any guess? Well, I think, I think we, we are in a transition from like a face-to-face world and into a not face-to-face world. And right now there's in between. We're in between that and it can feel confusing for like my generation and like the new generation. Like there's kids who are being, they don't, they don't know life without the internet, mm-hmm. you know? So, so I think at some point it's gonna shift all the way over where these online, you know, like the Oculus and all those things, those things are gonna become very prevalent and people will be able to have these rich social environments and worlds that they've already had for years with video games and stuff, but this will be super, I think that's what's happening. Where a lot of, it will be less face-to-face, more like digital connection and people won't leave their houses as much and maybe cars aren't even a thing anymore. I don't know. You know? I mean, self-driving, driving itself is going to be a thing of the history at some point. Yeah. You know, probably good. I mean, a good thing if it works, but less accidents, you know, so. a lot of people die by car. Yes. So we'll see. Um, so we talk about the listener question. We do have a question. This is from Sherry from New Jersey. Oh, hi, Sherry. And Sherry says, hi, guys. I've struggled with anxiety for my whole life. Therapists over time have tried to teach me to both trust my gut and to not trust it. I struggle at knowing when I can trust my anxiety or when I am overreacting to a situation. What do you guys recommend? Oh, I think you should start on this one. I got to think about that for a second. 
Uh-huh. I feel like you have some insight because you you love talking about anxiety. I do. It's like your favorite subject. I, well, why don't you start? And I'll yeah. Interject. Um, I wrote out actually a list of things that I would okay. say about it. So of course you as do. somebody who, as I've said before, I've uh, recovered from my own panic disorder. Uh-huh. And I found a lot of things that work and a lot of things that don't work. Uh, at the time, I was trying to trust my gut at what it was telling me, but it just made things worse and worse. And I found a very common problem for many people is that they try to trust their gut, but then their gut gets them in a bad direction. Mm-hmm. Um, and so for a lot of people with anxiety, listening to your anxiety, I would personally say is not very beneficial. I first would recommend to, I like to try to think if you can put a flag on the subjects that activate your anxiety. So let's say somebody has a fear of getting cancer and they keep thinking, what if I get cancer? What if I get cancer? What if I get cancer? If you say, I don't want to eat that thing because I'm afraid it's going to give me cancer, let's just go ahead and put a flag on it to say, chances are your way of viewing that is a little bit skewed. Like, let's say someone's afraid to eat a, uh, a fruit yeah. that has some brown spots on it because mm-hmm. it's been bruised. And they think, what if that gives me cancer? I would personally say, whenever you start thinking about cancer, let's just say, note that that's the thing that you continue to struggle with. And then I would ask, what would you tell a friend? Would you suggest to them that it's generally safe to eat fruit with a brown bump on it? Mm-hmm. How would you answer that? I would say yes, just or you could just cut it off. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, it doesn't know the whole thing is ruined or whatever it might be. Yeah. Or another, maybe a better example might be, I'm afraid of hurting other people's feelings. I don't want to disappoint anyone. So I'm going to be a people pleaser, right? And so they say, I don't want anybody to be upset. I don't want to confront anyone. So if you ever talk to a friend, would we say, it's, is it okay to at times confront people? Yes, I would say absolutely. So it's a necessary part of most relationships, yeah. yeah. And then what would happen is their anxiety says, but I shouldn't confront people. It doesn't feel right. Mm-hmm. And so part of it, I would say, is, noted that that's what you're 99.9% of your times your anxiety is telling you the right things to do but when it comes to not hurting people or not confronting people it's probably not very accurate instead what would you tell a friend and then start practicing to do what you know is right versus what your gut is telling you about that Mm -hmm. which is sometimes it's okay to confront people right so are you saying that you shouldn't listen to your anxiety I think we should find the things that we've struggled with for a long time mm-hmm. and that we keep getting to patterns about and learn to not listen to that mm-hmm. or learn how to, yeah, not engage with that. And instead sometimes do the opposite of a thing that's part of dialectical behavioral therapy is called opposite action, which is that you find the thing that you would do and then you do the opposite of it. So that's a common one for people who are depressed. What's the opposite of being stuck in your bed and not seeing anyone? going outside and introducing yourself to a bunch Mm. of people right yeah yeah sometimes that anxiety can it's hard because like it goes back to our conversation about discomfort earlier Mm -hmm. so it's like you're training yourself to be okay with being uncomfortable right and like i always go back to fear of heights because that's what i really struggle with um personally and like over the break we went to a water park with the kids right and you know part of that process is going up these big structures and waiting right with other people and 
if there's enough people, this thing is not, it's moving. Like, and you can feel it swaying a little bit or whatever. And there's, so it's like, um, in the morning I was fine. And then the afternoon, I don't know if it was just, I got tired and maybe I had too much lunch or whatever. I found myself up on a structure and I'm like in the middle of it. I w wouldn't go to the edges. And I'm, my brain is saying to me, you need to get off this thing. Like mm -hmm. you might fall off this and die. Mm -hmm. Like literally, and, I, and I, I'm sitting there going, no, Ingo, like you're not going to die because you're not going to fall off this thing because it's not, but it's like the uncomfortable part is, is that my body feels as though if I don't get off there, I'm going to die. And that's the anxiety, right? right. So I think in that, that's a good example of like, if I had listened to it, I would have missed out on the fun of the slide, which was really fun. And I had gone on it 10 times prior, mm -hmm. but for some reason in that moment, you know, so it's like what was happening i don't know but my body was telling me a lie you know so yeah. maybe what you're saying is is that but then i struggle with this now so like if you're say you're all right i'm gonna go bungee jumping and the person in front of you just died do you think you'd want to like listen to your anxiety then well that's why i said what would you tell a friend so if i <laughs> if i was to talk to a friend and they said the person in front of them just died would you go bungee jumping i'd say hell no i'm not yeah, doing no that. avoid that personally right Maybe other people have a different opinion, but I don't know. Bungee jumping in general, just, I don't know enough about it. Maybe I should do some research, but I don't feel necessarily safe jumping off <laughs> a bridge with, <laughs> with the elastic rope holding yeah. me. You know? It's not the safest thing ever. No. I say in, in general, if you'd recommend it to people, then you do it. Yeah. Right? I, would you recommend people to go on that water slide you went on? I would. So, yeah. yeah. I'd recommend sticking it out. And my family knew what was going on. They were laughing at me. I'm like, are you nervous right now? I'm like, yes. Yeah. Me. I'm like sweating profusely. Yeah. So I don't, you know, but then after that, I was fine. It was just, but your body tells you lies all the time. That's a good way of putting it. Yeah. Um, so it, the, the, I think the challenging part is though, um, Teresa, who was it? What was her name? Sherry. Sherry. Um, sorry, Sherry. Um, is knowing when to listen to it and when not to listen to it, mm -hmm. you know? So, so that's a challenge. Well, when, here's the next question for you. When do you listen to it? To the anxiety? Mm -hmm. I don't know. I don't do the tell a friend thing. Um, I've definitely had my fear of heights get the better of me before. Um, but I don't know. Like, when do I listen to it? I, I kind of do a self-check first. Like in that moment, some of the things I was thinking about was like, I think I'm just overheated because I hadn't gone in the water in a while and we're up high in this building and it's warm up here and I had a big lunch and I feel full and I'm tired and maybe it's all those things combined and I just don't feel good. Maybe I'm not scared of the height. That's just adding. So it's like, you know, there's like a multiplication effect there. Trying to like do some sort of equation in my head of like, is what I'm saying making sense? Mm -hmm. But sometimes you just don't know. So if you could yeah. not listen to it and get hit by a truck and then you're like, uh, I should have probably listened to that. So it's, I don't know if there's yeah, a right I, I, I think I think we need to narrow it down to be like, there's particular forms of anxiety that are recurring. And those are the ones I think I'm particularly talking to, right? Like if there, oh. if you're like in a situation that seems shady, like yeah, you don't need to question that one, right? If you're in a, s a scary part of a bad city, or if you just got into a car accident, like nobody ever comes to counseling because they're like, when I get into a car accident, I have a tendency of getting really anxious. How do I not do that? Like nobody ever asks that because their anxiety is helping them. Yeah. What they do is they come here because they say, I keep getting into this routine of being too anxious to confront people. And I want to say that one keeps happening to you. 
you probably know what you tell other people. You know yeah. what the right thing is to do. You just have a really hard time doing it. And so then what I would encourage is to say, the feeling is going to change after you've done it a bunch of times. Oh, uh, I see. Like don't, exposure in a sense? Yeah. And that goes for, I think, for many things. It's like, it's not going to feel right until you've gotten accustomed to it. Mm-hmm. Right? Like you can remember when you were an intern and when I was an intern, our first time meeting with clients, I was nervous as hell. Right? Were you not? You have a look on your face. No, I was excited. Okay. I wasn't nervous. I was, I mean, yeah. I, I was excited, but I was also quite nervous for, the, for my first day of internship. But like by yeah. the last day, I was like no missing everybody. Yeah. I was friends with the staff and everything. That's how most things work in life. Mm-hmm. And we can't expect ourselves to feel better until after we've done it a bunch of times. I bet if you went on that slide 30 times, by the 30th, it would be nothing. Or if you just stood up there for half an hour. Even yeah, we did stand up there for quite a while. I think. Yeah, no, I get what you're saying. Uh, I guess for for her, I, so how do we narrow this down so it makes sense for her? So what you're saying basically is most most of the fear is probably you should throw it out. It's not real. It's not reality that's happening. But if you have a situation where your safety is in question, maybe you should stop and assess. Um, not in the sense of like I'm on a slide and I could fall off. Like that's not the two don't because there's hundreds of people go up like but versus being in the inner city and you're at a stop sign and there's people walking around selling drugs or whatever like that's probably you should probably listen you shouldn't get out of your car right like if someone knocks on the window you just keep driving absolutely it's so like you have to do a little bit of a self-check i guess with yourself if the fear keeps coming up with the same issue yeah and you know that you would not suggest that to someone else Mm-hmm. then I would say that's something you need to challenge. Like if you, you, you already said, you know with for yourself heights has always been a challenge. Mm-hmm. So like the next time you go up to a high place and you start saying, should I be here? Like you already, that's why I put a flag on it. Whenever there's anything to do with heights, that's going to be the challenge for you, right? Yeah. But if it's like people walking around like selling drugs around your car, I'd be like, I would never tell anybody to get out of their car yeah. and go socialize with them, right? right? But I would say water slides can be scary, but they're also fun really fun yeah yeah does that make sense so i would i guess in general say find what it is that you your anxiety is telling you to do or not do and try to challenge yourself to do the opposite of that kind of thing okay i make that makes sense not not all types of anxiety not all things that give you anxiety not Mm -hmm. all dangerous situations but just the thing that you seem to be really stuck with yes and then like could you be okay in a world where you had to do that? Like, could you be okay in a world where you had to confront people? And the first answer seems no, but you also kind of know that, like, that's kind of the way relationships work. Yeah. Is at times, if you want to have good friendship or work relationships, you may have to confront people, and that's okay. Mm-hmm. I like that. It's not going to feel better until you do it a lot. Yes. Yeah, one thing you might do, it too, is... is ask yourself the this is my last point on this is is ask yourself when in the past has the anxious feeling anyone that you're having ever actually come true and maybe even do a self-assessment of are there things in my life that i was really nervous about before that i'm no longer nervous about as a way of like maybe like convincing yourself that you can you can overcome things like this the scary stuff whether it's heights or you know going to parties or you know, have dating or whatever, anything that you're afraid of, you know, um, public speaking, whatever, like I'm a musician. So like, go 
going on stage, if you don't do it for a long time, can be scary. But if you do it like all the time, it's not that scary anymore, you know. So I'm imagining as the venue gets bigger, the anxiety. But ultimately, it's the same thing, right? So why is that more scary? It's because the fear of failure is is greater, right? Mm-hmm. So it's like there's more people to watch me fail, right? Yeah. In, in case it goes poorly, the consequence is grander. Yeah, and, that, and that's why you don't have to do the hardest thing right away. No, but you can work yourself up to it. I would say. Yeah. yeah so start small. Mm-hmm. Anything else you have to say about this? This makes me think um, about a really great metaphor in ACT, which is acceptance and commitment therapy. They, mm-hmm. like to, they like to call it ACT, I think, because they just like that acronym. It's a good one. Yeah. And the metaphor they like to use is imagine, and I, I talk about this all the time, imagine that you're a bus driver. And as you drive your bus, you don't get to choose which stops you stop at. You just do your job and you stop at a stop and then you go to the next one mm-hmm. but then you pick up different things like the different passengers and those passengers are sometimes excitement or hunger or sadness or worry or a weird feeling in your shoulder that day and they may be on your bus for some time but if you were to be riding with that passenger on your bus and then if we were to watch that every day you go back there and you, there's this one passenger that's a real asshole and you, they go back there and they say, you should never argue with people. They, you sh- they should always be happy. Mm-hmm. Then you say, you know what? You're right. I'm not going to move this bus any further until we figure this out, until I can find a way to make this work. But then what ends up happening is they're not living their life. Who's driving the bus mm-hmm. at that point? And how long do you need to get in an argument with that before you realize that's not healthy? Most people do it for months, if not years, decades even. So they're stuck forever? They're stuck getting in an argument with this thing. Yeah. They go. So they don't feel it all the time, but when it comes onto their boss, when it comes onto their experience, they say, I want to find a way to solve this in the way that I need to solve it mm-hmm. in order to make my life continue. But their life doesn't continue. They just get stuck with it. So they're always. it's always on the bus. Yeah, and then it might come off just because they don't think about it, and then it comes back on, and then they get in an argument with it. But if you and I were on that bus, and then they were arguing with it, like after like a week, I'd say maybe. But if it's usually for most people five, ten years, like that's a long time. That's a long time. I would instead say, can you learn to drive the bus and just hear people yell at you from back there? Yeah, you don't always have to win that argument. There's a way. That, that's what we're saying, which is, how do you go do the thing that you do while still hearing it in the background? Mm-hmm. And challenge your anxiety with it, right? You, I would say, if I may use your example, you heard these different things in your head, mm-hmm. and you said, "I could choose to get an argument with it," but instead, I want to be like, Ugh, "Shake that off and go down the slide." Right. It was a challenge, <laughs> man. Good for you. Yeah. Well, I'm not always successful. I've definitely let it get get the better of me, but I, I think it's I think it's interesting how how we work as humans when it comes to anxiety. I hope that she figures this out. I, I don't know, you know, specifically if she had something that she was trying to work on, but yeah, she didn't say no. Giving you a big hug, Sherry. Yeah, we'll be all right. So uh, I suppose that's been another edition of this wonderful podcast. Do we not have a guilty leisure? Oh, sure. I forgot all about that. Do you have one? Um, yeah. I was actually thinking if, as we go forward, we might even just share what we've been thinking about too. But okay. I don't know if I have anything right away. I saw 
what I would say feels kind of corny. I saw The Sound of Music at the Paramount Theater. Oh, yeah, I saw that too a month ago. You did? Yes. Oh, it was awesome. Really, really well done. I like got teared up a couple times. Yeah. It was very emotional. Like, yeah. I was like, this is really amazing. Yeah. Yeah. So you liked it. I did. I've actually never seen a musical before. Um, oh, no? Okay. No, as a fan, I like show tunes and stuff. So um, that was a lot of fun. Powerful story. It was. Yeah. I've never seen the movie, but I've seen, I've, the, I've seen the musical. I haven't seen the movie either and so that was a fresh perspective and yeah. it was so well done so it's just a lot of fun really well done mm -hmm. yeah yeah it's great live live performances of any type i think are great yeah when you the this theater here in aurora is really really well done too mm -hmm. they do a good job yeah and it's nice because in the city it's, it's overcrowded and expensive and here close to us you know they have pretty good there's the next play that's coming out in in like the month or so looks interesting too i forgot what it is but Until i remember it's... looking at it there where i was like because they usually do three a year yeah so um super cool what's your guilty leisure um i don't know i i, I would say I've, I've just been in a creative space and i've been really trying hard to fight the internal voice that says everything you know i do sucks and so i've been like kind of immersing myself in that uncomfortable feeling of you know because like creatively it's a process and sometimes as it's happening it's not always awesome but the end result can be awesome so like i've, I've kind of that's been my guilty like if it's in my head so a lot of times like i'm working on something creatively i find it's always back there it can be a little distracting i appreciate that because i think that's our first guilty leisure that's not a thing we're doing but just yeah. a a concept you're thinking about or a feeling you're having yeah and i feel guilty sometimes because like even when i'm with people sometimes i because i have this thing i'm working on right now and it's an idea that i like a lot but it it, I re it requires brain power to over a long period of time like a lot of creative things like you have to kind of like dice and so sometimes i'm with people and I, they say something and i'm like oh that would be interesting and like i start to swim away and come back so but that's been my guilty leisure kind of that, that feels like a guilty thing yeah because i don't know that i'm as present as i usually am because of that because i'm entertaining you know some muse somewhere in my head you know so but it's been fun for sure um because it's cold out this is the time to do that. this is the time to do that in the summer i don't have that i have too much energy to, yeah you know what i mean right that has been uh this edition of drinks and trinks my name's Ingo weigel i'm john decker and we'll see you guys next time Later, peeps.